Welcome to What's Your Focus Today, the one and only resource that will get you back on track and focused with your host, Yvonne DeMonk. Focused on disruptive startups that are radically changing the rules. Focused on financial technology as it continues to drive a big part of your life. And focused on gaming and gamification strategies as the new rulers of the universe. So, what's your focus today? Haley, welcome. Thank you. Good to be here. Welcome to the podcast. We know each other for a while now. I see that you've brought the sunshine, which is great after a couple of days of very bad weather. That's all I do. I'm very excited because, first of all, I'm an investor in uh, uh, one of your ventures, so I'm very excited about that. But you're also working on something that I think is going to be a game changer. So before we get there, why don't you take me back to early days in your career? What have you done really before? Where do you come from? And how did you get to start this, uh, this amazing company called G2G Enterprises? Sure. No, thank you. Uh, thanks for having me here today, and thanks for your support over the years. And and for believing in our company. Um, I think we're onto something pretty major as well. So it all started right out of undergraduate. I, I lucked into a dream job. There's no other way to put it. And I worked at Morgan Stanley back when that mattered, with, back when there was still honor on Wall Street. And I lucked into a job in the strategic planning group. So we went through the investment banking training program. They brought in people to teach us strategic consulting. And our clients were the heads of the business units at Morgan Stanley. And back then, in the early mid-90s, there was a lot going on and it was a good time to grow up on Wall Street but it was a great place to grow up because at that firm in that group at that time all that mattered and what was drilled into our heads was having the right idea right. even if that was not going to help you personally or career have the right idea and as you will find out it will reward you so we did deals with handshakes your word was your your bond and everything it's called the good old days the good old days I know is it right. very well it's yeah. right and and I had a front receipt for the decaying of it but um, not there. There was honor to it, and your name meant something. So with that, I worked on a project to write the business plan for a startup in Tokyo, Japan. And I was spending a lot of time in Tokyo in the mid-90s and eventually moved there full-time in May of 2000. And while I was there, I was there for the launch of the PlayStation 2. Mm -hmm. And there's this one area called Akihabara in Tokyo Electric Town, which I got to know through another member of our team, Renfield Kuroda. And I saw when the PlayStation 2 came out, I played video games like everybody else when I was in high school or college, but I was never an avid gamer. When it came out in Japan, it wasn't just that the PlayStation 2 was a giant leap forward technologically. It was, but that's not what grabbed me. It, what grabbed me was the effect that it had on people. They had these cafes and arcades where you could come and play the games for free, and I was sitting there waiting for my train on the platform one day, and I'm watching an entire cross-section of Japanese society, older people, business people, college students, male, female, coming together, playing these games, building little societies, however brief or ephemeral they may be, and having overt emotional responses in public. And to be clear, that's close to 20 years ago. Yes, right. yeah, yeah. So that never happens in Japan. That's not allowed to happen. That's, that's part of the social structure. You don't have overt emotional responses in public. And it hit me like a lightning bolt that if this entertainment medium of video gaming could do that to the Japanese, it's going to win. It's cut through 2,000 years of social structure. So I started paying more attention to it, and it, I thought to myself, if video games are going to win, and by the way, they have, irrefutably. Uh, they beat, I forget the exact years, but seven or eight years ago, video game revenue surpassed that of movies, sure. that of music, and last year, for the first time, it beat that of all of television. So video games have won, and they're never going away. Everybody plays games, and that will have profound implications we can talk about later, 
But I thought to myself, okay, if I think video games are going to win 20 years ago, what would the ultimate video game be? And with some further thought, it came to where we are today and, and what we started to build. But it all started with, with a cultural insight living in Tokyo. Wonderful. And so, again, about 90 to 20 years ago, already there, you saw, you saw something um, that was very predictive of where we are today. Yeah. Over the years, you've seen a number of developments in uh, the gaming world, in maybe by extension, the social media world, mm-hmm. that uh, always give like this, this lightning bulb kind of moment where, you know, I predicted this and, and see what happens. Can you give me a couple of examples? But I, sure. Because I think it's, it's material in this discussion. Sure. You know, Steve Jobs once famously said that you can only connect the dots in hindsight. You, know, you don't know going forward. But one thing I'm very proud of is our team's ability uh, to roll with the punches, to change, to pivot, but also that we pay attention to each other, to the industry, to trends, and, and shift our sales based upon what we see. And I'll talk about the team too, but we have, we have some really, really talented people on our team, and they've all been very successful, but it's a surprisingly ego-free environment because we just want to work in service of finding the right answers. So, mm-hmm. for example, the first prototype that we ever built, right around when, when you got involved, was a virtual world based upon a real place. Right. At the time, World of Warcraft was king, Second Life was king, you know, Warcraft had 11 to 15 million people playing worldwide, just spending a lot of money, making money hand over fist. Um, so that was the dominant winner in, in video gaming. But because of the time I spent in Japan, you know, I had a, one of the first cell phones and we had an app culture, we had mobile payments were already a thing. I came over back to the US and said, look, mobile is going to win at some point. Everybody's going to have a supercomputer in their pocket. How does that work? How do we make this virtual world interact with uh, people on their mobile devices? And the team responded beautifully. And we built, without question, some of the first what is now called augmented reality software. And we didn't even know what to call it back then. We called it lens tech, which Mm -hmm. is unimaginative. But it was like looking through this magical lens at the world. And now you have Tim Cook, the CEO of Apple, which when he said this was the most valuable company in the history of the world, cracked a trillion dollar valuation, introducing the iPhone 10 as this is the first purpose-built smartphone for augmented reality. Right. So from there, that's something that, that we predicted. Everything from that to you know, maybe a little bit too much detail about how the sausage is made, but picking the Unity engine, um, picking the freemium model would win. Well, of course people like things for free. All of these were strategic decisions we had to make along the way but we made all of the right ones. And so we feel pretty good about you know, our, our predictive ability, but also it's not rocket science, it's just paying attention to what people are doing and listening to each other. So maybe to clarify here, what the company has been building is a platform. You've called it Yugen. Maybe explain a little bit what Yugen stands for. What exactly are you, you building? What are we talking about? But also, you always refer to the theme. Tell me a little bit more about that team and, and why it is so crucial to the development of sure. this idea. Quite simply, I, we couldn't do it without them. Uh, I, I have an investment banking, strategy consulting background, and a philosophy background, quite frankly. And I met some people and was introduced to this team called Pipeworks in Eugene, Oregon. They are literally the number one independent video game development company in the world. And I came to them with what may or may not have been perceived as a crazy idea to make these virtual cities and to make all this stuff. And I said to them at the end of my, my presentation, my pitch that day at the studio, but I don't know how to do it. I, I can't code, I can't write a line of code. I don't even know if it's possible. What do you think? 
And that had inadvertently a very positive effect because you think about who these guys are, all of their clients are the top tier in the video game industry, EA, Activision, but Disney, Lucasfilm, you know, Sony, they play with all of the big dogs and then this guy comes in out of nowhere and says, this is what I want to do, but I don't know if it's possible. Well, all of their other clients tell them, make it this big, make it this many pixels, use this color shade, and I said, I don't know what I'm doing. Now, for them, it was incredibly liberating. It was Socratic ignorance, right? It was, well, we're going to throw ourselves at it, and suddenly it is possible. And now you've seen some of the things they built. It's, we've surprised ourselves, and we've developed this great working relationship over the years because we trust each other. We, we entered completely unknown territory and wowed each other with what we built and this level of trust. And so that sort of feeds back into what we're actually building. It could only have happened this way because, as you said, the platform is called Yugen. Well, Yugen is a Japanese aesthetic concept. The, there's no direct translation from English, but the closest we get is uh, an awareness of the universe uh, that triggers emotional responses too deep for words. You, you know there's more out there. And some translations include like a nostalgia, like almost, it's almost painful that you know there's more that you can't get at, but you can only approach it through the arts, through music, through poetry. And in a, in a very real sense, that's what we're building and we're using technology to try to capture. So what does that mean? What that means is when I was thinking about what would be the ultimate video game, well, the ultimate video game would be the real world, except it would be a real world that is a bit more magical than the one that, that we find ourselves in. Instead of being weighed down by responsibilities, you can look through this magical lens and see the things that you want to find, look back in time, travel through history, find magical experiences suited to the things that you're interested in. So that sounds great, but it actually works. We built a prototype that wowed even the experts. And the guys at Pipeworks tested this by using it in its current form to go to a city they'd never been to before, and they came back to their management and said, this is bigger than we even thought it was. This has Facebook, Twitter, platform for living potential. And that's where we find ourselves now. And so is it, is it a game? Is it an experience? Give me, give me an example of what can be done with the application. Sure. So, so yes is the answer. It's all of those things. Okay. And it, we start with gaming because. Gaming is where technology gets incubated. Gamers are, are fantastic. They don't mind if it's not perfect. They want to help you make it, make it better. They want to be interactive and iterative. And if, if you listen to them and tell them you listen to them, you see how, how engaging gaming can be. Well, more than time, more than money, more than even pleasure, gamers want status. They want to be recognized for what they've done, what they've accomplished, the leaderboard. And so gamers will help you iterate and make your product better just for the sake of doing that and for being recognized for having helped you. So we start with a game where you can go around the world anywhere and find things to do and learn about your daily patterns, learn about the places you go, and everything from very simple like Pokemon Go kind of uh, scavenger hunt where go here and find this, go here and find that, to more involved gameplay where whether it's while you're waiting in line at Starbucks you can uh, play a little trivia game and say, hey, did you know this building used to be uh, a brothel or a, sea, a sailor's tavern? Up to and including much more involved gameplay where go around and find all of the uh, espionage sites in Manhattan or find where, where General Washington was to city versus city challenges where different cities can play each other uh, you know, for, for say sporting events. So it starts as a game to get people quite frankly on ramp and, and uh, generating information and data and we have a tripartite data model of people, places and passions. So where you go, with whom you spend your time and what you care about, the interests that you have. 
And with that, and once we have the gamers generating all of this data, we can then extrapolate from that other useful services. So, for example, uh, and even up to and including reskin this as something else that is not even a game down the line. So what do I mean by that? Well, if our phones already know this, by the way, that I'm in a room right now with you, and it knows that we spend our time together, and, and we spent our time together in places that have some historic character. You've taken me a bunch of uh, Belgian beer bars. So it knows that Lena Vaughn are friends, Lena Vaughn like Belgian beer, craft beer, historic places, you know, live music, whatever it is. Well, okay, I've never been to Ghent. I've never been actually to Brussels, but I've been to, I spent a lot of time in New Orleans. So with our technology as it is today, anybody could travel the world freely without fear and find something they're going to want to do. So what I mean by that is, instead of going to Travelocity or even worse, Facebook recommendations, which are all terrible. Every time somebody wants asks for recommendations on Facebook, it's, well, I went here and did this. There's nothing, nobody takes the other person into account. It's they just want to say, and this is, the, the, the crucial critical flaw of Facebook, I'm here and you're not, I did this, my life is great, the kids are above average and excelling, my wife's attractive, but they don't pay any attention to the person that's asking the question. And so I'm an expert on New Orleans. Whenever somebody's going to New Orleans, they know to ask me. So I have my standardized list of recommendations, and if I really like the person, I'll say, all right, give me the dates, you'll be there, here's what I would do, and I customize an itinerary for them. Well, okay, that's inefficient at best, but with our platform, you could get off the plane in New Orleans having never been there, and it would have already mapped the data to me, who you spend a lot of time with in these kind of places. You get off the plane anywhere, or I get off the plane in Brussels, and it will say, here are five places you're going to love. So all of a sudden, without doing any homework, you can travel to a foreign country and find something that you'll be interested in. It's very, it's very compelling. Also, I, I heard you talking about Pokemon, mm -hmm. uh, Pokemon Go, and I think about two or three years ago when it came out, uh, clearly uh, a milestone, I think, in, in, in the industry. Clearly also a financial success from what we can read. Can you relate a little bit to Pokemon Go and what Yugen stands for, the differences, and why Yugen is going to be so much you know, better and, and, and more compelling than a Pokemon Go? So that is a fantastic question for a variety of reasons. And the first of which is, uh, I have two sons, as you know, and, and right now they're seven and nine. But when Pokemon Go came out two days ago, came out in July, and it was on a Tuesday or Wednesday, and I know that because the day before, I said to my two sons, let's, go for, let's get ready, let's go for a walk, and go to the beach. No daddy, and they're on their iPads playing video games. Literally the next day, I said, let's get ready, let's go for a walk, let's go to the beach, and hunt Pokemon. Okay, Daddy, okay, Daddy, I'm brushing my teeth. I'm putting on my suntan lotion. Look, I'm getting ready right now. What a difference a day makes, literally. Now, okay, that night I took them out for, to an ice cream parlor and 100% of people below the age of 45 there, and I'm talking dozens of people, were all playing Pokemon Go. So every day for a couple of weeks we did that. We wandered around the neighborhood and hunt Pokemon. After two weeks, my elder son Layton, who was seven at the time, to stop playing it. And I asked him, because they're my toughest critics, and I, I run everything by them, I test the prototypes on them, and I said, why did you stop playing? And he looked at me very simply and he said, because there's nothing to do. There's no, there was no gameplay to it initially. It was just the novelty of, again, seeing the world through a magical lens, going around your neighborhood and suddenly it's populated with monsters. That's cool. But what that told me is that there is this massive pent-up demand for this kind of entertainment, turning your world into a more magical place. Now, okay, they've added gameplay since, 
But even with that, a simple scavenger hunt for monsters that aren't actually there, who do you no benefit whatsoever and no gameplay, did $1.1 billion in less than a year of revenue. And still, rumors to the contrary, it's pulling in $5.5 million in revenue a day. It is still a massive success. And great. I begrudge them nothing. I think that's fantastic. It's proven the market exists that we, again, back to your earlier question, that we assumed was there. And this is another thing that we got right. Um, that being said, what's the only force stronger than a 25-year-old nostalgic Japanese monster brand? Narcissism. That's what Facebook proves. What if there's something that, okay, has all of that magical characteristics, you can go around and see things, but also helps you make sense of your world. And not just make sense of your world, but your place in it. And, and this goes back to Joseph Campbell kind of stuff, the hero of the thousand faces. It's a universal human need to be seen, to be recognized for, for who you are, what you've accomplished, and that's something that games do fairly well. But now, we're adding that into a layer into, into the real world and what your place is in it. And I don't want to veer off on this tangent yet, but I'm willing to if you, if you want to. We're combating a lot of social ills with this. Sure. And uh, if it's okay with you, just this is something that we thought more and more about. Well, you talked about the big bad boy, uh, Facebook, not to right. name it. And then uh, the, the idea of a Facebook killer came up as well. Um, highlight maybe the difference there on, on what the approach uh, is going to be and why, and why it is so key to understand where the differences are and why this could very well be the next big thing. No, sure, sure. So I mentioned when I, the first day that I went to Pipeworks and I pitched them on what we're trying to accomplish. I had just the week before given a lecture at my alma mater about being an entrepreneur. And when the dean called me to invite me to be the keynote speaker of the series, I said, look, it could be a cautionary tale. Like, I haven't made it yet. Sure. And she laughed and said, no, that's part of the story too. And they had to pull in more seats because the kids were interested. Uh, again, I, I'm not a name yet, but it was the subject matter. And I told the kids, that the students, that when I graduated this university, the message was clear. Don't stray from the path. Get the best job you can at the best firm you can and don't make any mistakes. And at the end of it, you'll get more than a gold watch. You'll be financially secure. Your kids will be at a good school. Everything's going to work out. That's gone. That's completely obliterated. And that's what I mean by when I said I had a front row seat for the decay of that. Right. Um, there are valid reasons why people don't trust big corporations or big government anymore. So my advice to the students was 180 degrees the opposite. Make as many mistakes as you can while you have the relative freedom of undergraduate period and, and see what you're good at, see what you love doing, and see if there's a way to marry the both. But if not, do something else. But figure stuff out by making as many mistakes as quickly as possible. So I said the same thing to the Pipeworks guys and I said, look, I don't mean this esoterically, it's true, trust has been broken. And I referenced that lecture, but look at Facebook, and I forget what the valuation was at the time, I don't even know what it is now, but with the hundreds of millions of dollars Facebook is worth, has spent, has made, hundreds of billions rather, sorry, uh, Facebook is who you trust already, and Facebook is abusing that trust to sell you ads for shit you don't need. I find nothing creepier than buying something for my kids you know, on Amazon, clicking over and finding that in my feed. So I know you're spying on me, and to a degree we've made our peace with that, but there's no utility to it. Mm. So Facebook is abusing that trust to sell you ads that you don't need. And that's just a simple example. Then the cover of the New York Times above the fold said, you know, Myanmar genocide incited on Facebook. Plus, as I started to mention social ills, because of social media pressures, 
and online shaming, the suicide rates for teenage girls in this country are the highest they've ever been since we started keeping statistics over 40 years ago. So side effects of Facebook include genocide and suicide. Okay, that's unacceptable. It's not where we should be right now. And so that's why when I when I mentioned this to the Facebook or to the to the Pipeworks guys, I want to restore a capital T trust. Now I can't walk into a room and tell you I'm trustworthy. Trust is built over sustained pattern behavior over a period of time. I wouldn't believe anyone that told me that they were trustworthy. But as I told the guys, you'll find out that I am. And if we just put some of that back in, people can smell it on it. So why I think this could be a Facebook killer and others do too is because we're restoring our, the two pillars of you again are trust and magic. We want to restore trust that you can use this as a way to view your world. And the other way that we're restoring trust is it's through your avatar. It's your avatar, not your real name. So there's no permanent record of the things that, that you like or you're interested in. Oscar Wilde has a quote that I'm very fond of that I'm going to bastardize, but it's essentially man is least himself when he speaks in his own voice. Give a man a mask and he'll reveal the truth. So with the avatar, and we found this in our early testing, people are more like their real themselves. So Netflix knows this too, right? If you look, you want to tour down Insanity Lane, look at anybody's Netflix queue, myself included. It's all aspirational. It's all movies I want to have watched or documentaries I want to have watched. But really, when I get home and I'm tired, I put on Fraser reruns. So they spent, they were willing to spend $10 million if you could improve the recommendation engine 0.1%. And I don't think anyone ever got it. So that being said, well, if you have this avatar and you have the freedom to act like yourself and your identity is protected already through military-grade encryption and we're adding a blockchain layer, you can be who you really are with no negative repercussions. Now that itself is a liberating idea. Then when you add the technology that you've seen that, that we can't show on a podcast, that you've made the world more magical and given meaning and context to it, right. I mean, that's, that's the holy grail. There's a lot in there, and um, I just wanted to go back to, again, the, the, the Pokemon Go example. Mm -hmm. Big moment in the industry, and I think in, in, in your development as well, in terms of realization of a, a number of things. I wanted to highlight also a recent article in Wired magazine, I think about one or two months ago, which I feel may be one of these other moments as epic as the Pokemon Go moment, where they talk about something called the, the mirror world, if mm -hmm. I'm not mistaken. Why don't you talk about that and, and why is it material what's being said there and written and how it relates to, again, where you are with your development and where you want to go with Yugen? No, sure. It's, it's the March cover story of Wired Magazine proclaimed Welcome to the Mirror World. And it proclaimed that not something as pedestrian as the next big thing, but the next big everything is this blending of the real and the virtual. It's not just an evolution, uh, it's not just a movement along a curve, it's, it's a push out of all of the curves, it's the evolution of all tech platforms. And, and to your point, and to your earlier question, this is something we predicted a very long time ago. And as, as you point out accurately, like Pokemon Go, this is another milestone landmark that says we're on the right path. That article, that cover story, I bought all of the issues at my local Barnes and Noble, I carry one with me in my briefcase at all times. I've given them out to some of our investors to show, again, this is the ultimate validation. The number one tech periodical in the world proclaims this as not just the next big thing, the next big everything. And specifically, the article completely validated every major strategic choice we've ever made, including but not limited to, obviously the stakes are massive. Uh, one of the lines was, Whoever dominates this grand third platform will become among the wealthiest and most powerful people and companies in history. 
Okay. Check. That's <laughs> yeah. that's compelling. And as I'll an investor, as it. an investor, I'll take it. That yeah. should give you some comfort Absolutely. that you're back to the right horse. Absolutely. Additionally, it said um, a line that I used earlier: gaming is where technology goes to incubate. One of the guys from Niantic, the CEO of Niantic, said, "If you can solve a problem for a gamer, you can solve it for everyone else." So, just to your question, start with gaming. Check. Time travel. The article, in breathless terms, talk about using time as a verb. That you can move a slider and see back 50, 100 years. We built that over seven years ago. We always baked time travel in from the beginning because, as I said even to you in the early days, you live anywhere, you become an amateur story, and you want to see what this was before and, and your place in that, that, that um, the fabric of space and time. Well, what they describe in breathless tones as the coming future, we built years ago. And then the last part is... The fourth major part, I should say, about from the article that validated what we've been doing is the importance of a strong and true north moral compass. And what I mean by that is that if you can interpret the world for people, the potential for exploitation is massive. And as you know, and as you've gotten frustrated with me, somewhat validly at times, I've been very selective who we've shown this to, I've been very selective who we'll take meetings with, because, and I've turned down money from people who I didn't deem trustworthy, because... It can't be perverted into something solely for commercial success. One guy who I turned down even asked me if I was worried about being assassinated because he wanted to use this for political gain. We can measure the will of the people. And if I know where you spend your time, with whom you spend your time, and what you care about, and figure out the virtual or real-world incentives with which to get you to do something, what's the difference between that theoretically and mind control? So it has to have a true north moral compass. And that article just completely validated all and again i gave it to my my family my father and i sent it out far and wide to our investors we're on the right path and again what the number one tech publication in the world proclaims as the next massive shift we built already sounds great i also wanted to uh, briefly touch upon the potential parallel with what is happening in the crypto world, mm-hmm. cryptocurrencies, is, has that any uh, relationship to what you're doing with Yugen, or is that something that's you know that's going to come later, or what's what's your take in general on on that development there as it relates to Yugen, or or it doesn't? I don't know. No, sure, it, it, it's a fascinating space to me, and I think will have implications for us down the line. But it's something that I think that we need to figure out how does it best serve our, our, our central core mission? And there's no doubt that it's, it's not going away, it's big and it's growing. 80% of financial advisors have had clients ask about cryptocurrencies, and you and I have talked about it over the years, mm-hmm. and we've gone to conferences together where even the experts sort of don't know. And I've gotten in heated arguments with our CIO Renfield, who knows much more about it than, than I probably ever will, and I was lamenting, as, as we talked about early on with, with ICOs, that the best use cases thus far are criminal activity. And so therefore, I have, again, talk about a true north moral compass, I have an issue with that. And he goes, well, you can't blame the hammer for it being used this way. The technology itself is sound and we'll find a better use case. So I believe that. And I think that there is a way for us to incorporate it down the line. Now, whether that, what form that takes, I don't know yet because we need to be a little further along. However, the way I'm envisioning this platform and the way our entire team is looking at it as a way, a global platform for trust and magic and understanding your world and your place in it, then I absolutely see the potential for a proprietary cryptocurrency that becomes our in-game currency that could become a global currency. And that itself is another 
I think could be used as another beneficial self-reinforcing data loop of seeing what use cases all over the world, how that works, and, and seeing what the trends are globally. Talk to me about the business model. What's what's the deal there? Uh, I know it's it it can potentially be complex. Uh, it's very exciting, but how is it going to work? How how is the company going to make money? Sure. So we make money in a lot of different ways, and um, the way we've modeled it, it doesn't. Nothing matters until you have users. So, like most online games, and again, back to your earlier question, this is something we accurately predicted. The freemium model, the platform's free to use. But you can customize your avatar, and so my sons love that. And you know, bitmojis and animojis are already a multi-billion-dollar industry. You can buy custom items for your avatar. You can also earn them by going to different events and getting one-of-a-kind items, and that specialization proves to be very compelling. Uh, you can also buy things to enhance your character's, your avatar's performance. And after that, and after we get people using the game, and we've modeled that as sort of the biggest initial revenue stream, we have a lot of B2B answers. So again, if I know where you go with unerring accuracy with whom you spend your time and, and what you care about and have figured out the proper incentives, well, we're generating arguably the most valuable consumer behavioral database in the world and the ability to affect change within that. Now, again, that has to start with a true north moral compass, but if I can get a brand message into the right hands of the people that are using it, unlike the, what I just learned today, 90% squandered amount of Facebook or Google ad spend, well, I can target the right message into the right hands with a much higher hit rate and get them to your door with an in-game incentive. So we get, as far as revenue goes, we get paid for the collection and synthesis of that data. We get paid for putting some intelligence around it and presenting to our business clients. And then we get paid again for customizing an approach within the game world. I think that people are fed up with being treated as cattle, with being fed sure. and, and online advertising and banner ads and all that crap. And you're about to see a bunch of ad blocking software. You know, with, with it's 2019, with all of the trillions of dollars spent, made, earned by Google, Facebook, Amazon, all the big platforms, it's still in service of selling me fucking ads. That's where we are? Unacceptable. So instead, if it knows because I paid 99 cents to buy Captain America's shield, uh, our Yugen platform knows that I'm a fan of Marvel Comics. Okay, well, if all of a sudden it recommends to me, go see the apartment where Stan Lee used to live. Go to all of these places that, you know, where Avengers Tower was. Go to Stan, look at Grand Central, and all of a sudden you see an incoming alien race so you can play a little game and fight. Or Iron Man flies by your cityscape. You're going to click on that because it's something that you're interested in. And so then, okay, you play a little mini game, and if you're the first one in your jurisdiction to win or to, to finish it, great. You just won two free tickets to the premiere of Air, uh, Avengers Endgame. Um, we want to reward people, and so do brands, You want to reward your biggest fans. Uh, I was in a pitch meeting not that long ago, and the guy that runs the venture capital fund said, look, I'm, I'm a wealthy guy. I brought my family down to Disney, and I, bought the, I paid for the VIP pass, and I got to cut every line. Well, it wasn't that cool, because people are staring daggers at us, and they're looking at me and my, my family terribly. And I, I said to him, what if there was another lane for I earned it? Like in our game, you want to know the people who spend the most time, effort, energy with your brand and reward them for doing that. Well, guess what? They're going to go out and they get a one-of-a-kind, you know, a, a, an Iron Man mask that you can only get if you've done that for your avatar. They're going to put that all over their social media feeds. They're going to share that with everybody. You have made a brand ambassador that is worth a lot more than 
some ad spends some banner ad somewhere else. I was thinking about something. I believe in the past we talked about um, a number of deals that you already have in place with with content providers. Uh, I think specifically talking about how Yugen could work with museums and mm-hmm. monetize some uh, unexplored potential that the museum has. Can you can you give that example on, sure. on how exactly that could work? We had the the entire uh, Pipeworks guys were in town for one of our, our launch parties and pitched the entire digital media team at the MoMA and. To be fair, it's not their entire, it's not their fault. There's uh, one guy, Seb Chan, who used to be at the Cooper Hewitt, was one of the few people that never really got the potential. He went so far as to say that augmented reality is going to save museums. Now you think about a museum, right? It's a purpose-built place that's very expensive. The real estate is expensive, the upkeep is expensive, to house things that are also expensive to house, and they're physical items. Okay, well, that's why they rely on wealthy vendors who want their name on different wings of it. And living in New York, we have world-class museums of all different kinds. Okay, well, it requires attendance and money, and maybe people care or they don't. So you've got field trips going, and maybe the kids care or they don't. Uh, I'm intellectually curious, but I still find museums overwhelming because I'm intellectually curious. I always feel like I'm missing something. Well, if I had a platform that knew what I was interested in and said, hey, if you only got 10 minutes, go up to the seventh floor and see this thing. And then further than that, one of the things that we talked about a long time ago and talked about with them was not just see the art or learn about the art or something as pedestrian as the existing technologies of walking tours that animate or give you audio clues about what you're looking at, but get out of the experience what you want to get out of it. So for example, let's say uh, me, you, and my wife went to the MoMA and there's a painting there, it's uh, the Battle of Warsaw. So you are there because you know the painter. My wife is there because she likes the style of art, I'm there because I'm Polish and I'm interested in that period of history. With our platform, we could all aim our devices at that painting and see three different things. You see your friend, the painter, talk about what it meant to her when she painted it. My wife could see an art historian talk about the use of brushstrokes. And I could see a military historian talk about what that battle meant for the history of Poland. We all get out of the experience what we want to get out of it. But then, with the gameplay mechanics, I can reward you and incent you for trying on a different perspective. See the other content that we've already put there, or try it on from a different viewpoint. And so suddenly, we're, we're codifying, we're building empathy. And actually, you could gain, well, transposing that to the political discussion, for instance, you could force Let's people. No, but I, I, you know, I would think in this kind of environment, you could actually reward people for having a look at the other side. 100%. That's right? always been baked which, in. Which, like with a Facebook, on purpose doesn't happen. They only, you know, reinforce your existing views. One hundred percent, and and so I think that's a very compelling. Actually, the, okay, that I'm right. willing to go that far. In yeah, politics. I don't want to go into politics. I don't either. But, you I don't know. either. But to that point, you're right. Facebook is is a hellhole, especially when it comes to political discourse. And I, discourse is the wrong word. It just becomes an echo chamber of ranting, sure. and it goes so far south, so viciously, so quickly. But to your point about trying on the other side, we were talking that already with civil war sites. Okay, well, these are Americans fighting each other. It's a bloodiest battle, a bloodiest war in American history. Well, why? Why did people choose different sides? Why are you fighting brother against brother? Why was it? What was so compelling? See it from the north side, the south side, this side, the other. You know, people are so, again, I don't want to politicize it, but so quick to judgment based upon modern wars and tearing down statues, and that's fine, and I understand the rationale behind it. But more importantly, those who don't understand history are doomed to repeat it, Talk about why. By, by most measures, 
Robert E. Lee was considered a good man, and he was West Point. Both sides wanted him, but he chose the South because of his home. Well, talk about what made that guy make that choice, and and how, in any period of history, good people do bad things for different reasons. But talk about why. Don't just say this equals bad. Nobody is that simple. Everybody is is a spectrum, and in in modern political discourse and and technological platforms it's surprisingly black and white you know sure. you got more uh, there's a guy chris chan on, on uh chris i forget his last name but on 4chan who once said uh i have more choices in the toothpaste aisle in the, my grocery store than i do of how to represent myself online mm. people are prismatic and, and we need to celebrate that fact just want to quickly go back to the example of the museum. Mm. I think one, one of the opportunities which I thought is, is very compelling is that, you know, when you go into a museum, you only see a very, very small selection of what the museum actually has mm -hmm. in, in, in store. So let's say maybe it's 5%, if even if that. that. Yep. So basically fair to say that through a platform or a game like Yugen, you could actually bring to life the 90 or 95% other pieces of art that are now hidden and you bring to life, potentially monetize. Uh, is that a fair assessment? Is 100%. that something that can be done? 5% is, is a high estimate. The rest of their collection is in expensive climate-controlled storage. So not only can we do what you just said, which is tie in anything related that exists elsewhere, not physically, but virtually, but also, you know, from a museum's perspective, load balance. Get people in when it's empty. So you, you drive revenue to, to peaks and valleys, so, so fill in those, those valleys but also figure out what people are interested in. If everybody's driving toward one thing, but we know because of the other data we have that you know fans of Japanese animation and Smirnoff Vodka are going to this one exhibit, okay, well, you can do events around that. But if you know what people are looking at and we can give you some intelligence about why, well, then you know what to go look to next in your collection. Say, coming soon is the follow-up to that, the next period in the Japanese, you know, the, the Emperor's Dynasty. So we know that we can tell people, you're getting all this traffic to this exhibit for this reason. Well, then maybe there's a follow-up that comes in and, and better optimize the use of their existing collection. Yes, we can absolutely do that. Okay, let's talk a little bit numbers here. You're in the process, I believe, of closing a funding round uh, in order to go to, to production. Can you give me a little bit of background on where we are with that? What's the timing for actually before we're going to see something? What's your thoughts there? Where are we in the process before we get to these exciting, exciting times? So to date, we've raised $3.3 million. There's a Series A of $2 million, of which you participated, and a $1.3 million uh, convertible bridge loan. And now we're going out for our second round of capital. And you've seen, we've talked about it, but you've seen what we built with that relatively small amount of capital. We built uh, an online virtual world prototype. We built three different augmented reality mobile prototypes. And now, lastly, fourth, we've built uh, the Yugen platform demonstration. So that's a large amount of development for a relatively small outlay. And it took that evolution to get to where we are, to where I think we've finally made the thing. So now we're going out for our next round of capital, and, uh, and so we're going out there now. We've, we're onboarding a new chief marketing officer and trying to perfect the message because, frankly, it's still a complicated explanation. And Pokemon Go for adults doesn't really have the resonance for what this really is, and it requires a very long conversation. As, as the gentleman who, who we're looking at for our CMO once said, Lee has a TED Talk. We need a tighter pitch. Right. Um, we'll do the TED Talk later, and it's useful, but that's not what we need right now. So we're... we're working on the message. Now, after that, 
to be frank, we're already playing in the majors. And we're having conversations with, you know, I mean, sure, with, with the A-list uh, players, but we need to get across the line. And it also has to come sort of, again, on our, on our moral terms, which I think it will. And there is a sense of urgency now, especially after the Wired magazine articles planted the seed that this is the next big thing in people's heads. And also, over the last two weeks, every major tech platform has announced that, hey, we're going to be good now. You know, we're going to take privacy seriously now. So Facebook, whatever, and then Google saying the same thing, hey, we're here to help you. Microsoft just said they want to protect, they want to be the thing that protects your identity online. So again, to, to your earlier comment, all these things that we predicted would be important that they should have done already, they're just getting to now. So yes, privacy is going to be important. Yes, doing the right thing is important. Like it seems simple now in hindsight, but they didn't do it that way. And that was one of our biggest frustrations and why we've been pushing so hard to do it. It's another validation point. So now it feels like, and even in recent pitch meetings, people had no idea what I was talking about before Pokemon Go. And the analogy that I used with my family was I came home from a meeting, my wife asked me how it went. I said, look, it's like I'm walking into a candlelit room with a light bulb. And I'm saying, this is inevitable, this is coming. And everybody just met with blank stares, like, yeah, well, we're good, we just doubled down on whale oil. Okay, well, good for you, but this is inevitable. And then my little guy, Harrison, who was seven, he looked at me and he goes, Daddy, what's so hard to understand? You build your character, you explore the world, cha-ching. <laughs> he even made the gas register noise. And I looked at him like, that's better than any goddamn pitch book I've ever put together. Can I film you saying that? And he did. So, so anyway, I mentioned that by illustration of, I think that, well, I know that the meetings are going better, we're getting to, to, they're getting bigger, we're getting closer to decision makers, and at least now there's an understanding of what we're building. Before, we called it lens tech, now it's augmented reality, and now it's a massive undertaking. But still, we, I haven't gotten frustrated, by, I got frustrated by how long it's taken, but we haven't gotten frustrated because we spent the time wisely by figuring out the business model, the use cases, the monetization points, figuring out context, and everybody else is still just wowed with the technology. Look, I can make a little monster appear on the desk. What well, doesn't matter? What matters is what are you going to use this for? Why will people use it? And, and what benefit can you can you create? Now, is there anywhere um, a place where uh, people can go and have a little bit of a teaser of what it is, or is that too early? Or what's what's your thoughts there? As of um, this recording, I think it's a little too early. Okay. Uh, however, there is we have a video that's password protected, and okay. you know, for some of your valued listeners, I could probably be talked into providing it. Um, okay. There is a demo, a, a little a link to a demo out there, but I think we want to be a little bit further along. And I say that not out of sheer paranoia, as I've been accused of, but rather, you know, you saw the cover story in Wired. This is, sure. this is, this is everything. And it's something that is so simple and so elegant. Why has no one else come up with it before? And we know this empirically at, at GDC. Uh, Lindsay, the CEO of Pipeworks, asked a guy who was about to launch a $50 million you know, mixed reality project for a major name, and he just got immediately silence of why has no one done this before. It's so obvious that no one's thought of it. And that's why I've been so protective of it. But also, we started at a place that now that Google and Facebook are these big, massive corporations, that they would never have think about, right? Like you go on Shark Tank, you want to drive massive adoption immediately and get to the mass market. Well, we started with the premise of what if being you is good enough? 
Well, that goes, that flies in the face of decades of advertising, right? Like the whole point of advertising tell you you're not good enough. You know, if you use this skin cream or nail polish, you're not skinny enough, you're not attractive enough. We started with, fuck that. You're good enough the way you are. Be you, walk around, find people who are like you, find your interests, and that's where the power is. So we've completely flown in the face of, I mean, centuries of business and advertising. Sure. Very, very compelling. I think we're about to close here. So in conclusion, where, where do you want me to send people to if they want to have more information about what the firm is doing, where you are? What's the best way to, uh, to get in touch? Uh, I'm happy to provide my contact information, especially if they have checkbooks. Um, but otherwise, I would say stay tuned because okay. if this goes even a fraction of as well as, as I want it to and plan on it, they won't be able to avoid us. And the last question, if, is there anything that I didn't ask and that I should have asked at this point? In, the only thing that I would add is that you, you put it in, your, in the questions that you sent me in advance, which I appreciated, uh, was where do you see you know, yourself or this three to five years from now? And I used to have an answer that I would immediately fire off flippantly. But the more I think about it, the more I realize it, it actually is truer than I, than I initially thought. And so somebody asked me that recently, where do you see this five years from now? Or where do you see yourself five years from now? And, and it just fell out of my mouth, accepting a Nobel Peace Prize. And okay, haha, but no. Because if we do this right, we can completely counteract a lot of the negative trends that are happening out there today. Because we've connected people and places and passions and started the conversation talking about culture, not the things that separate us, I think that a Nobel Peace Prize is not an unreasonable goal. And I think that informs the rest of it, and I think there's a lot more money and more business potential in doing it that way than any other way. Wonderful. Well, on this happy note, thank you so much for sharing this information. Um, looking forward to further developments, but it's truly, um, you know, and literally a game changer, uh, I think, in the making. Thank and you. so uh, all the best to you and the team, and uh, we're looking forward to the next podcast. Stay tuned. Thank you. Right on, thanks. you have it. Lee Gzlowski, G2G Enterprises, Yugen. It's about time, and the time is now. If you're interested to know more, reach out to me directly and we can talk. Most importantly, make sure to leave your comments below and share this episode on the platforms where you are most active. Thanks for listening, and make sure also to check out my other conversations. And always remember, what's your focus today?